0: That little bitch, she talks and talks. Here she comes. Here it comes. Three, two, three. It's it's Michelle, hello. Hi. are you? I'm okay but I just have to acknowledge that we are currently in mourning. You'll be hearing this a week after but right now the UK is in mourning because we lost the Queen, Her Majesty the Queen who was the longest reigning monarch and you'll know this because it will be on the news. In fact her coffin's on the news every day. Everything's on the news. A live stream. People are queuing for six hours to see the coffin. But you can just watch it on the telly. I don't understand. But obviously it's important to some people, then that's fine.
1: It is important. And you know, I'm not in the UK at this very minute, so I'm not there seeing firsthand all of the drama and all of the tears. In fact, you know, I did speak to Jen. She said she's cried so many tears in the last oh, few wow. weeks. First for Livy.
0: Oh Livy Newton John, yes. Yep. Raipui.
1: Then then for Judith Durham. She was the singer of The Seekers. She's gone. She's popped off.
0: My parents will be upset mm. about that,
1: yes. Yep. And then now the Queen.
0: She's very, very upset. Very upset. So. And, Michelle, did you know it's not a good time to be 96 years old? Two grandparents of acquaintances and friends have been lost recently at age 96. And I'm talking about the day of and the day before the Queen passed away. The Queen was ninety-six. Now we're all holding our breath for dear old David Attenborough. Oh my God, number ninety-six. He's number ninety-six as well. But also,
1: maybe it's the ninety-six club because you know, isn't there like the twenty <laughs> twenty-seven club yes. or
0: something? The I don't know. Rock and Roll know. Twenty-seven Club, and now we've got the the new <laughs> the era. 90. It's the ninety-six club. Welcome, by the way, to all you lovely <laughs> eavesdroppers. You are listening in on daft conversations from me, Geordie, and me, Michelle. Hello. Thanks for eavesdropping. Thank you. Thank you for eavesdropping. So, yeah, I was actually away for the weekend when all this was kicking off about Queen. Well... As I said, I'm not in the UK at the moment. I've had a lot of people
1: say, well, what has she done? Yeah, she's the Queen, but what's she actually done? Yeah. And actually, I was a bit stumped. I was just saying, well, she's the Queen. She's been a great figurehead. I don't know. Have you got a
0: list of things she's done? I'll tell you one thing she's done that I wasn't very happy about, and that was the dismissal of our best Prime Minister in Australia, Gough Whitlam. But I guess yes. she had a bad representative in Australia, and that was Sir John Kerr. Mm. Was it John Kerr? Is that the right guy? I hope, I hope it is him. It's not. I'm sorry,
1: simple minds guy, Jim Kerr. Yeah,
0: but uh, while I was in Porto, I must say, what a lovely city! I could live there. That's lovely Mm. with girlfriends. Shout out to the wine o'clock club. (laughs) We were watching TV very briefly between rooftop pool bathing and Kuiperinia drinking. I'll get you. Well, some of us can have fun sometimes. It's not just you, Michelle. Sometimes others can have fun too. (laughs) Cocktail club. Cocktail hour, anytime. I was watching TV, the news, and it was being dubbed, and I was able to read a woman in the crowd out the front. Not dubbed, it was being, sorry, it was, what's the words underneath called? (laughs) Subtitled? But this woman said, I could see her saying it and read it as well. It's just going to be really strange now saying Her Majesty the King. (laughs) 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 You
1: dumb, dumb. Oh. Oh,
0: dear. I mean, look,
1: that's definitely sorrow brain. She couldn't even think straight. Have you ever been near the Queen?
0: Have you ever seen the Queen or been to Buckingham Palace or anything? No. Never? No. Have you? Have you seen the Queen? Yes, I have. Have you met the Queen? Oh, my God. Have you met the Queen? I've been in the, in the Queen's presence. Yes, very close as well, I have to say. But it was in 1988 in Australia, outside. The- oh, my God. You Were you
1: one of the kids on the side of the road waving
0: the flag? No, flags? I wasn't on the side of the no. road. I was at the new Parliament House opening with the tent embassy people who are the Indigenous Australians who had set up their own tent embassy out the front of the Parliament House in Australia all along because they were being ignored. Their needs, their requirements and their civil liberties were being ignored by the Australian government. So I went with those First Nations representatives and stood outside. Well, we had our own place. We were allocated a place and we all said things Mm. like, Aboriginal land always was, always will be, and things like that. Saw the Queen come down the stairs as she walked past. We had to sit down and turn our backs. So I turned my back <gasps> on the Queen. Oh my God, you bitch! You're gonna well,
1: burn in hell. To be but fair, not, because. Do you know what? It, it's and Aboriginal Bob, land rights. Bob the, Bob Hawke uh, was there
0: as well. <laughs> Hawkey. All right, But you know what? The tide has turned. I have noticed. I mean, I don't live in Australia anymore. I don't know. But there was the Barunga Statement, which was handed to the PM at the time, Bob Hawke, by the First Nations Mm. representatives, which is two bark paintings. Have you heard about this? I didn't know. I've only just found out. It was written on them as the statement calling for Aboriginal self-management, a national system of land rights, compensation for loss of land and respect for Aboriginal identity end to discrimination, the granting of full civil, economic and cultural rights and other things. And this is now held in the art collection at Parliament House.
1: My sister's kids, they every day have to acknowledge the, you know, the true owners of the land. That's just part of their school assembly and whatever. So, you know, like really the tide has turned in Australia for all this. There's a lot to make up for. But speaking of Australia... I had a message from an eavesdropper who actually happens to be Neil the Scientist's wife. Hello, Mrs. Scientist. Hello, Mrs. Neil the Scientist. Apparently, she works for, oh, I don't know what you've got, an organisation? An organisation? Or maybe it's some kind of organisation, we'll call it that. Let's call it that. And the head of that organisation is? Is none other. What, who? Than ben Mendelssohn's dad. No! Yes, so we are like three degrees away from Ben Mendelssohn! Oh. And I said, listen, if you see him, tell him he needs to be an eavesdropper. Yes. Fake Ben even gave
0: us a shout out yes. on that 100th birthday. He did. <laughs> I wonder when we can get the real Ben. But until then, we'll make do with fake Ben. Who is now a proper eavesdropper, by the way. My brother Aaron Gron is now listening and loving every minute. Drinking those brown lemonades while he's listening. Cracking a brownie. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right expression, actually. I think I have to take that back. A brownie is only one <laughs> bit more than a brown eye. Interesting. <laughs> but let me just say hello to a few new eavesdroppers. Mm. We've got some shout-outs. shout, out. shout, out. shout out.
1: Shout Shout out, out. you're getting a shout out.
0: We've got in New York City, we've got Lisa G and hopefully her entire family, including Nick and Jaya and Hudson, but maybe not, the children. Maybe they can listen to Eavesdrop and Light over on Patreon without the swearing. Without
1: the swearing. Sans swearing, I've got to tell you, it was fucking hard. (laughs) But we did it. Oh, you <laughs>
0: fucking bitch.
1: <laughs> ah.
0: No, we did it. We've also got in New York City, Suzanne, who is a lovely listener over there. And in North London, there's possibly Tom Cullinan, who is a musician of all things and carpenter and an old friend of mine, actually. And he has indicated that he possibly listens. I'm not sure. Oh. But I know someone who does listen. In Camberwell, we've got Ray. Mr. Ray. No. Who is the man who gave you your little bitch, Monica? He did. He's the one who dubbed you little bitch. He coined the phrase little bitch. What a man. (laughs) (laughs) What a mouth. (laughs) I can tell you why. It's because we were waiting a very long time in the car outside your flat for you to join us for a trip to Ikea in Croydon. Yeah, but what what was taking me so long? You probably had to fix your hair and makeup. I don't know. He said, (laughs) where is that little bitch?
1: Actually, to be fair, I am late for everything. No. I got in trouble about that from my, uh, my other half. He said,
0: "Oh, what have you done?"
1: Well, you know,
0: I am late for
1: things, and it's not intentional. But he says it's very, very rude, and it's yes, very I agree disrespectful to other people's time.
0: So I agree with that. I
1: hundred percent agree with those words. I try, I try to be on time. Well, what's slowing you down? Just life. My brain slows me down. I don't know. Right. I feel like I'm so fast that I'm slow. Does that make sense? It doesn't.
0: Look at your face. (laughs) Nice try. (laughs) Sorry. So I just want to give one more shout out and it's to the King of Podcasts podcasters. The reason why we have jingles, and I'm sorry, Adam Buxton, for ripping you off, but it's Adam Buxton. I was at the live recording. So I am actually going to be on the Adam Buxton podcast. Oh, yes. We'll have to all listen. I'll put a link in the show notes. I'll be breathing in the background, occasionally chortling, (laughs) shouting occasionally, but I don't think I was heard because I just said yes, occasionally. Or I did say it's true when Louis Theroux, his guest, said because he used to love a magazine called Unexplained Mysteries, which sounds right up our alley, mm. I've got to say. you got to find that. And he said in that were things like Loch Ness Monster finding, mythical creatures, um, probably UFOs, and the unexplained phenomena of spontaneous combustion. Okay. And pictures of red high heel shoes with part of a leg and the rest is a pile of ashes, or a cup of tea next to a, an I've armchair with those. a pile of ashes.
1: You're in the audience there going...
0: True, Jen, true. Everybody, well, including Adam, said it's just fake. You can't spontaneously combust. Well, actually, let's put a pin in that because I believe you can and there's some reasons why and it's not what you think. It's not, I think Louis and Adam discussed the possibility of all your atoms jiggling about so fast and so hard that occasionally they spark off against each other. I'm not sure if that's what they were saying.
1: We need some medical fact on that because that sounds
0: dodge. (laughs) Dodgy AF. (laughs) Pin that idea, Michelle. I think we ought to come back to... And I feel like we already have because I know that I've done some research on spontaneous human combustion. Well, do you know what?
1: I think that's a very good idea because in a wormhole of just internet stuff, I have some ideas about
0: molecules. So
1: I think we, we'll come back. We'll come back to this idea of
0: nice molecules. So I, when I arrived at this podcast event, by the way, I went up to the reception to ask where to go. But I wasn't the only one asking. Louis Theroux was also asking, and I thought, he's cutting it fine. It was like ten minutes before the show started. So just so you know, not a lot of prep. He was the guest on. He was the guest. Adam Buxton's yeah. live podcast. Yes, they're old friends. They all went to school together. Adam Buxton, Joe Cornish and Louis Theroux. All very successful in their own rights. It was lovely. The camaraderie and the rapport between the two men was lovely. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. A bit like you and me. A bit like you and me. We should have been up there, Michelle. We will. It's It's coming. It's a podcast festival. We'll be there soon. But we need you to help us, people. Come spread on, spread the
1: word. Come on, spread your words. Spread your. <laughs> Wait, we... come on, eavesdroppers, help us out. Help us out. Let's get us onto uh, Adam Buxton's podcast mania, whatever it is. Mania. Well, you know, his like live show, like, all oh, we want to be part of that rampage live show rampage. We're rampaging. Okay, what's she on about? What? Huh? Silly bitch. What? Full disclosure here. I actually don't have anything else other than this. So this there's no stories.
0: I just got bits. Oh. I got bits. You've been bringing me a lot of bits recently, Michelle. What's going on there? Your mind's all over the shop. It's tits and it's bits. That's how that's right. how life is right
1: now. But no, actually do you know what? It like I said, it's not so much a story. It's an update. Oh, and I think it's something that people are going to enjoy. We're gonna. So I'm just gonna dive right in
0: here. It's gonna be one of two stories from Australia. It's either gonna be the teacher's pet follow up, or it's gonna be Melissa Caddick.
1: To your first idea, meow, meow. to your second idea, <laughs> thumbs up. Tick tick tick. As you know, on this podcast, we are a little bit obsessed with an Australian fraudster called Melissa Caddick. So back in March last year, season two, episode 11, on this very podcast. Well done. I know, I know. Show notes, Shelley. Uh, So we did a mini deep dive into the Missing Presumed Dead con woman. And it was a crazy ride of twists and turns that saw not only loads of her friends and even her family get ripped off to the tune of more than 30 million Australian dollars. The story got wild, but I'll just kind of give you a little recap because, you know, Geordie, we do have new eavesdroppers and they might not know who
0: Melissa Caddick is. They might
1: not know.
0: You might not know, and I'm sorry if you don't, but just listen to little Michelle. She'll tell you. <laughs> little bitch is going to give you the rundown. <laughs> bitch, she talks and talks. Here she comes. Here it comes. So basically
1: for around seven years, Melissa Caddick, uh, she was a financial advisor and she'd been operating what was essentially a Ponzi scheme where she took money from friends and family and pretended to invest it in high risk, high profit stocks and shares through her investment company called Malava. However, (laughs) What she was really doing with that money was like yes. she was burning buying the cash. Buying
0: oh. buying shoes, yep.
1: dresses, designer jewelry. Oh, there's pictures of her in Aspen. She was just blowing the cash and just spending. Going nuts. Yeah, she was going nut-nut on just having the lifestyle of the rich. Because she was. It was just all on everyone else's dime. And the thing is, you yeah. know, she bought, including her parents. Yeah, she ripped everyone off. And the
0: thing is, family, friends, no one was exempt.
1: No, she had no moral compass when it came to this. I'm not saying it's easier when you rip off people you don't know, but to rip off family and friends, you have to see them. She had to look them in the eye and tell. And she gave. She was making fake documents and handing over their Comsec investment property portfolios, all photoshopped, all fake. Like, yeah, and she was doing that, like. Face to face with friends and family, knowing that she was, she just bought an ugly but expensive house in Sydney's eastern suburb. She bought ugly but expensive cars. She kept a hairdresser husband in, you know, recording gear, you know, that kind of thing. So for his fabulous hits,
0: Poor Patrol, rapping hits, wasn't it? Pat- Poor, no, Paw? not
1: Poor Patrol. It was um,
0: <laughs> oh, what is it? The Poor Poor Club, or
1: well, I don't know. Anyway, what? I'll put a link. He's
0: in the Poor Club now.
1: No, as in P-A-W. It was something. Paws off. Huh? Pause off. That was the name of his band. Oh. Pause off. Right. Not Paw Patrol. Sorry. <laughs> um, the thing is that ASIC, which is the Australian Securities Council, they were on to her because they got tipped off to her dodgy dealings and they raided her home. The next day, Melissa Caddick vanished. Now, this was... On November 13 in, in 2020, but her husband, Anthony Coletti, who is the <laughs> said poor, patrol, poor patrol, guy. patrol guy, weirdly, he did not report her missing until 28 hours later. Oh, yeah. Weird. Really big fucking dodgy thing. Yeah. And when the police went to investigate, it was assumed that she'd gone for a run that morning. She didn't take her phone or keys and she just never came back. And rumours were that she'd thrown herself off the cliffs near Bondi at the Gap. But there were also rumours floating around that she was knocked off by biker gangs. I know that's one of your favourite theories here. I like that one. Yeah,
0: because she, you know, because she got in deep with bad people. But then... You don't mess mess about with those guys. You just don't. No, you don't. And they run the place in Australia, by the way. People might not be aware that bikers are actually... Influential. ...quite a big presence in... They are. They're the Moonies of Australia. They
1: bloody are, (laughs) aren't they? And look... They have a low profile in the cities because it's more
0: about the gangs. But outside Mm. of cities, the bikers are really influential. They will be running the bars, the pubs, the clubs, the restaurants. They'll be on the door. They'll be behind the scenes. Yeah, Yeah. And I'm not saying they're not in the big cities. I'm just
1: saying they share the space, the bad men's space with other people. But (laughs) in country Australia, I would say the bikers were – they're top dog. After she went missing – Four months later, you know what I'm going to say here, Geordie? Yes. A foot in an expensive designer trainer got washed up on Bonder Beach, right near where you grew up. Is it? We're talking South Coast here. Yeah. Look, it was assumed by many that because of this foot, Melissa was dead. And that this foot was evidence of her death. Yes. Now, anyone? Anyway. Not for you,
0: though, Michelle. <laughs> no. not for you, because you like the fanciful idea that she chopped her own foot off and went to a surgeon and had an aluminium foot put in, and, and she just threw that other trainer away. She doesn't need that trainer anymore, and off she went. I'm not to live another life elsewhere. You know
1: that I think to put the police off the scent. She threw him a foot. You know that I think this, and you know what? You think it's an unpopular idea but I'm not the only one who thinks this. <laughs> and because, look, the thing is, if Melissa was smart enough to smart enough to rip off all her friends, she's smart enough to have an exit plan minus a foot. This is what I'm thinking. And look, the whole reason why this is in the news at the moment is because there is currently a massive inquest in Australia, into the whole Melissa chaotic palaver right now. And of course, one of the things they're looking into is the whole foot thing. So basically, the inquiry, which began last Monday, they're set to hear from a forensic pathologist who reckons that there, excuse me, I am hiccuping. Burpee? I know. It's, oh. I don't know why I hadn't, I had an egg and chili anyway. So there's this forensic pathologist who says that, who is set to say he hasn't come out, but it's been leaked that he's going to present this evidence where there is basically no conclusive evidence about that foot because they cannot 100% say whether Melissa's foot in that shoe was there because A, it fell off her decomposed body in the ocean and got washed up or B, was it cut off?
0: Oh, they can't see if there's been a sore mark or no,
1: no, and there's they cannot conclusively say one way or another or
0: a bite mark. That's the alternative. Really, well, I hadn't isn't it?
1: really thought about sharks, but yes, that does come up. And look, I haven't seen or heard the exact info on this, but honestly, I I feel like if it was cut off or if it fell off, shouldn't that be fairly obvious from the flesh and the bone, because. Look, apparently when they found the foot, it wasn't as Mm. decomposed as much as it should have been if she'd actually been in the water for four months. For that time. Yeah. Okay. Four months. Right. Yeah. The shoe was clean with not much algae on it. And back when we first talked about this last year, reports suggested that the foot had not been in the water for very long at all. So for it to have just fallen off, as they are suggesting, could have happened, that seems
0: weird to me. Hang on, say that again. The foot just fell off?
1: They're saying that the foot fell off the
0: decomposed body. Oh, I see. Not off her walking around. Right. Oh, okay. no, no, it doesn't just fall off. That's
1: what oh I my thought. God. She was
0: kicking a ball and the leg foot. <laughs> Who's come up with that ridiculous theory? No. Because she...
1: No, if she was. Oh, my goodness me. <laughs> there is apparently a guy called Jason Downing. SC, who is the counsel assisting the deputy state coroner, Elizabeth Ryan, in this inquest. And he's come out to say that they suspect Melissa to be dead. I don't know about that. And they say this because the forensics expert is expected to tell the inquiry that they were unable to determine why her foot separated from the rest of her body.
0: And where is the rest of the body, I guess?
1: Well, this is what I also want to discuss. There was a foot, nothing else. Nothing Mm. else has ever washed up from her body, her remains, her clothing, nothing. And it's weird, right? Yeah. But anyway, all of this means that the coroner might be forced to return an open verdict into her presumed death. So it's all a bit fuzzy, really. And I also read that the New South Wales Police Department were involved, and this is weird, they were involved in talks about conducting experiments using pig trotters to try and replicate what might have happened to Melissa and how that foot ended up where it ended up. So, essentially, the police were planning to do this experiment where they would throw dead pigs wearing running shoes on their trotters <laughs> and fit it, and like the pigs would be fitted with trackers. They were going to throw it into the ocean, wait four months. Yeah, from the gap. They were going to probably chuck them off. At the gap in, near Bondi, yeah, put trackers in them. Yes, but the reason was, and I was surprised by this. They were going to do this to try and determine shark behaviour. Uh-huh. Because, and that shocked me because even though you had mentioned that I hadn't really read much about sharks, but, because there hasn't really been that much talk about Melissa being eaten by a
0: shark. But I guess it's a possibility for sure. I just assumed she would have been eaten by fishes and sharks anyway. And there's so many sharks often in those waters around mm. Bondi. Yeah, I guess. And all the way down the south coast, I happen to know that it's a marine park. So yeah. there's tons of fishes. They've all come back. Yeah. Fishes! Fish, I meant to say.
1: Little fishies and sharks. No, it's true. I mean, Australia is notorious for having sharks, mainly on the West Coast, but on the East Coast too. But, you know, the talk is mainly that she threw herself off a cliff. Uh, So, what they wanted to do was experiment with these pigs to see, I thought, how long it would take for a body to float from Sydney to the South Coast and also to, to determine the level of decomposition. But apparently, I think this experiment was just mooted. It was only mooted. Mooted. It was only mooted. I don't think they ever actually did it. They haven't done it. No, but at the inquest, I think one of the detectives from the case who was called on had the same thoughts that I did, which was, you know, how long was that foot actually in the water for and what that actually Mm. means in terms of when that foot was found versus when the foot was severed from the body versus the amount of time Melissa was missing for and actually they did call an expert called Dr. Paola Magni from Murdoch University uh, who said that the ASICS trainer her foot was in when they found it should have had barnacles on it after three months floating in the ocean because that was high summer. November Mm -hmm. through to April in Australia is high summer. High water Uh. temperatures, water is full of plankton, full of little creatures and it's active and warm. And this woman, Dr. Paola, she apparently told the Daily Telegraph that she says she would have expected something on the shoe, but it was a clean shoe. Mm. So, you know, for me, that's a red flag and a plot twist right there. But Those bikies held onto her for a little longer, didn't they? Well, maybe, because like we said, you know, nothing else is washed up anywhere, not another foot not other body parts, no other bits of clothing. She's in someone's fridge. Oh, my God. She's in the deep freeze. Geordie, she could be. The other question is, is she actually dead? Or is she in Bermuda uh... sucking back cocktails hobbling around on a bionic foot? Honestly, (laughs) I just, you know that I think that that is potential and it's all over the news that these are potentials, that she could be alive. I know it seems far-fetched, but sometimes life is stranger than fiction, Geordie. Yeah, true. Now, another thing that's come out of this inquiry is that apparently Melissa maybe had a bit of an inkling that shit was going to hit the fan sooner rather than later because, Uh yeah, it was reported that she told a few of her close family and friends, and these are her words, if I'm going to end it, it's going to be here. And here referred to the cliffs called The Gap, just down the road from her house near Bondi. Now... Also during the inquiry, a friend of Melissa's told authorities that Melissa made her write down a four-letter code and told her to give the code to her brother, Melissa's brother Adam, in case she ever went missing. Well, I don't know if that code was ever given to Melissa's brother or what that code is for, but I imagine it's probably for some secret stash of cash somewhere, either physical bags of money or it's a code for an offshore bank account or something.
0: But it's out there now and the brother I know has been on the stand. So does he not know? He, If he does? If he knows, he's not saying. No. And I'm sure the police have looked
1: into this code if it exists and if they haven't, they will now. And my other theory here is that if she is alive, then she wanted her brother in on that exit plan to help her out with the cash. Mm. And if that is the case, he's not going to say anything in the inquiry. Now, I'm just saying ifs here because I don't want to get sued. If, if, if. These are not definite facts. I'm just saying these are all ifs. It's speculative. (laughs) It is speculative. It is speculation. Now, another thing that came out of the inquest so far was that Melissa had a life insurance policy at the time she disappeared that covered suicide. (gasps) And look, I don't think that's common, but eavesdropper Steph, who's in insurance, if you know, let us know if that's common or not to have a suicide clause in your life insurance policy. But the thing is, a big deal has been made of this and I can see why, but I also think that it's only relevant if you can prove that she killed herself because in this case, Hmm. Nothing is clear. Is she alive? No. Is she dead? Did she throw herself off a cliff? Did she get kidnapped by bikers? And they've got her hidden somewhere in some basement with one foot seeking revenge. I don't know. But it also means that her husband, Anthony, can't cash in that life insurance policy right. until there are some answers. And even then, are they really going to pay out? This is such a high profile case.
0: Yeah. And it's not their money. No.
1: So, eavesdropper Steph, if you have any theories on this insurance angle, get in touch because I find it really fascinating because if she did think if, you know, shit hits the fan, I'm just going to top myself and my family will be fine because I've got an like a suicide clause. Well, it's all gone wrong. But another thing <laughs> to come out of this inquest <laughs> is Anthony Colletti and the weird way he the husband. Yep, the husband. The weird way he reacted The young
0: hairdresser rapping husband.
1: Yes. That's the one whose father said he's basically not got enough between his ears to have killed Melissa. Oh. It's not very <laughs> nice, but when your father says that in the media, I'm just summing up what he said. But anyway, okay. Apparently, Anthony went, you know, acted very strangely with the police from the minute Melissa went missing. And I say the minute First of all, he didn't contact police for 28 hours and that is really sus because we all know those first hours are crucial in missing persons cases because that's when you have the biggest chance of finding someone alive. Well, Mm -hmm. Anthony spent more than a day before he reported her missing, which instantly led, of course, police to consider that Anthony was either A, her murderer or B, involved in her disappearance or C was involved in helping her to escape. And all of this yeah. came to light at the inquest because a police officer called Detective Sergeant Michael Keener, who was first on the scene after Anthony called the police to report her missing. He was the one that said Anthony had this weird behaviour and raised the alarm bells because it was his behaviour that suggested to the police that he was in on Hiding her or whatever. And yeah. I've seen some of the footage and it's really weird. He answers the door to the police when he first has reported her missing. And he's like, Oh, hi. Yeah. How you going? Big smiles. Hiya. Come on in. He's easy breezy. And yeah. look, his wife, A, has just gone missing, B, got raided the day before, or two days before, was facing yeah. bankruptcy, jail, and God For knows it. what other trauma you know, prison life has in store. So he is acting strangely. And there's also other footage where police are questioning him about Melissa and he says that she normally took her keys, wallet and phone with her when she went running, but she left her phone home and that was when he knew something was wrong. Mm -hmm. But I guess he wasn't that worried because he waited 28 hours.
0: I know, weird.
1: It's all really weird. But the thing is, even though he was a suspect initially and thought of as – potentially having murdered her. After about three days the police dismissed that idea however they do say that he could have been involved in helping her to go into hiding so he still has that hanging over his head and another thing that's come out of the inquiry is that when it came to the initial police search for Melissa no CCTV footage was collected or properly looked at. Within That quick time frame after Anthony reported her missing. So anything that could have been potentially used to find Melissa was missing. Also, there wasn't a land search for her in those early stages of when she went missing. They were only looking in the ocean. So these are all lost opportunities. Why? Yeah. Why are they just going straight to the ocean? I don't know. Maybe. What did they know that we didn't? Well, I think there's a lot that the police know about this case that we don't. And over the next couple of weeks, we potentially will be, you know, seeing more and more of what the police know and what they want to reveal. So more updates from Michelle? More updates from me. So there we go. So I'll keep you updated and I'll put some links in the show notes for you all.
0: What a surprise. (laughs) She's going to put some links. Guys, listen. She's going to put links in the bloody show notes of all things. Have you ever heard that before? Crazy, crazy (laughs) shit. So if you are interested in that story, you can just go and have a little shift around. You can do a little bit of research, a bit of duck-duck going yourself. (laughs) Real Real life. Real life. True crime. So, Mish, I've got a question for you. Oh, yeah, okay. Yep. Would you like to live in a house that was the scene of a murder? Like to live there? I don't know. I
1: don't know. Would, a- would anybody actually like to live in a murder house?
0: Well, would you like to?
1: Oh, God, you know what? It's a loaded question because I feel like I'm I'm a bit,
0: Sell the century or whatever like if the price is right maybe I would consider it I don't know <laughs> well the price would probably be right wouldn't it it would be slashed forgive the metaphor but it would be slash cut prices <laughs> Oh Jesus. slash down half price or whatever oh, but
1: do you know what in the abstract it sounds like oh yeah but the thing is I am superstitious I do feel like objects can retain memory energy. and energy yeah. so and also to you don't want to be like giving the the house a little quick clean and you see a blood splatter do you know what I mean like
0: well I don't yeah, I don't know exactly. I don't know I don't know the horrors the, horror. the horrors I would be thinking all the time about what happened you know what was going through oh I don't want to go into a great detail but, but you
1: know what even the bad vibes leading up to it not just the act itself like All the bad vibes in that house. I don't know that I could do it. I don't know that I could do it. I don't know.
0: I can't go into detail, but which is frustrating, I understand. But there is a family home in my husband's family that was the scene of a murder. What
1: the fuck?
0: And it was right before we were trying to sell the house. There was some people renting from it and the husband murdered the wife (gasps) and then went on the run. Oh, my God. And... That's all I'm going to say because it's a bit too close to home. But the reason why I'm asking you this question right now, Michelle, is because there's a new TV show that I watched the other day for my sins, and it's called Murder House Flip. No, oh yes, my god! Yes, it's a home. It's it's a home <laughs> renovation show, oh, no! and the host. <gasps> yes, the hosts redecorate homes which were the sites of famous and usually quite gory murders. Oh my god. What? Yeah. So it's a home interiors show? Yes, a bit like changing rooms or five-minute makeover, but it's murder house flip. And here we have a blood spider wall. What we recommend is a Pretty little, much. little bit of Ajax and a
1: lick of paint, <laughs> something like Are that. Are you joking? Oh my god! I'm not joking. Knock it's a TV show. Knock that fucking house down. I no. Well, do you know what I say? Oh, maybe, maybe. No, if it comes. You can't. Oh, I don't know. There's so
0: many murders, though, Michelle. You can't knock them all down. And as you'll go on to find out, some of them are actually revered for what has happened historically. Let me tell you about it. So, for example,. Basically, the people who tend to buy these houses feel, just like you and I just said, that there's going to be some bad juju in the air mm. and they kind of need to get rid of the bad energy and that's why they call these hosts in to give also get a free makeover, let's face <laughs> it. But why would they buy it in the first place? That was my question to you before. Yeah. Well, cut prices. Yeah. They're going to be slashed, like I said, or the murder wasn't disclosed. <gasps> yeah,
1: I think that's illegal.
0: Yes, it is, in some states and in some places throughout the world. I don't know what the legislation is for every country in the world, but I do know from this article in Realtor.com, which is a United States website, that sellers in three US states are required to inform house hunters if someone has died in the premises. In South Dakota and Alaska, only murder and suicides that happened in the last year need to be revealed. (gasps) And in California... All deaths in the last three years must be disclosed. So anything prior to that? No, no, no. Do you know what? How do you feel about that? I definitely feel like next time I buy a house, I'm going to do an address Google. I would
1: say that is a very good idea because... I don't think that that's enough. I don't think one year, no. three years. I w- like if somebody got brutally murdered. I want to, yeah. and it was five, ten years ago. I still want to fucking know about it.
0: I do. Yeah, I do too. I would want to know. In the UK, under the Consumer Protection from Unfair Trade Regulations, property vendors are obliged to, de- to declare any information that can decrease the value of the property or affect its enjoyment. That's actually word for word the rules, and among other things. This includes murder and suicides in the property.
1: I know this for a fact because I've had friends who have tried to sell their place and they've got dodgy neighbours. Oh, that comes under that. Yes, and that comes under... They have to disclose to potential buyers whether or not they have nuisance neighbours. Yes, of course you want to know about a nuisance neighbour, but that's kind of fucking small fry compared to somebody who got chopped up
0: and hidden under the floorboards. True. True. Actually, I know a guy who moved into the now gone. It's called the Haygate Estate. It's where they used to film a lot of the crime dramas. It was a big looming housing estate near Elephant Castle in London. Okay. And this guy got his flat. And when he walked in, there was a, there was the outline no. of, a, of a body. Oh. And I'm not talking about the chalk outline because he was murdered. I'm talking about a man, poor old man who passed away and wasn't found. The shadow of his dead body was imprinted into the floorboards, I'm afraid. Oh, my God. Because it was there so long. So, And also in Australia, I've got some info as well. New South Wales in Australia, agents are now obliged to disclose the history of a property should it be stigmatised, although the law can differ from state to state. And in Victoria, agents are only required to tell prospective buyers if they ask. That was from the Herald Sun, that info. Do you know
1: who I think we should be asking all about this?
0: Hazel the psychic real estate agent That's right So Hazel Get in touch We want to know So back to the US These murder homes are typically discounted Michelle Which is what makes right. them such an attractive prospect To first-time buyers possibly About 10 to 15% According to real estate appraiser Aurel Anderson Who valued the OJ Simpson And benet Ramsey residences And yes people live in those houses Do you
1: know what though? 10 to 15% Fuck that shit. Not enough.
0: No way. Not enough. I want 50. I want 50 or more off. That's what I'm saying. I want 90. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) If the crime involved a celebrity or extremely gruesome and covered nightly on the news murder, the discount could be up to 50%, Michelle. So you would imagine that Jean Bonnet would have been quite reduced because you'll have rubberneckers, won't you?
1: Well, yes, you'll have rubberneckers, but it could also go the other way. Somebody who really gets their rocks off on knowing they live in a murder house... They might even go above the odds. They might bid more on that auction house, so because they want
0: it. Well, here's an example: the seven-bedroom mansion where 39 identically dressed and Lego Man hairstyled devotees of the Heaven's Gate cult. Oh, okay. Do you remember they were all wearing like little tracky da- track suits, mm. and if men and women had their hair cut in this little Lego Man bowl cut? Yeah. Well, they all killed themselves in 1997, which was the upshot of the that was basically what they were always planning to do they were trying to reach what they believed was an alien spacecraft like once they had died that's what's going to happen to them that's what they were told yeah but this house where they all died was worth 1.6 million dollars but sold in 1999 which is only a few years later for six hundred and sixty eight thousand. would you want to live in that house though that's a lot of dead dead juju bad juju A lot of dead juju. So, Orel Anderson, who I mentioned earlier, who appraised, he also appraised that property. He says it's the scale of the tragedy, but also due to the bodies that had been lying there for days, there was a stench of decomposition, which just, these are his words, just permeated the walls of the structure. Couldn't get it out.
1: They were dying there for ages. That's when you get a fucking bulldozer and you raise that shit
0: to the ground. Oh, man. Yes, please. But as I indicated to you earlier, Michelle, it is different in famously spooky places like the French Quarter in New Orleans. This kind of history often increases the value as it Mm. did for a building with five luxury apartments in it, which used to be known as the Sultan's Mansion, which they say is haunted. Most photographed property in New Orleans, this one. The story is, you've probably not heard it. No. The story is that the brother of a Turkish sultan, and this is mid-19th century, rented out the property. And it's also known as the Gardet-le-Pretre mansion. This uh, sultan's brother w- moved in. And one day, a resident in the French Quarter was walking along Dauphine Street when he spotted blood seeping, allegedly. <laughs> From the mansion's door, down the steps and onto the sidewalk or the pavement. A lot of blood. A lot of blood. The police were immediately called in and once they got inside the Sultan's Palace, as it was known, they were greeted by a horrific scene. Dozens of bodies lying face down in pools of blood. Many of them were dismembered and disfigured (sighs) beyond recognition. And it was alleged that a total of 37 men and women were killed during this massacre, which occurred during the night with no survivors. There was a note found on the table which read, This is what happens to traitors. And in the courtyard garden, the police found a freshly dug grave with a hand poking oh. out of the ground. That was the Sultan's brother. Yes, very Carrie. It is very Last Carrie. Last seen with Carrie. Yes. Holy shit. So he was believed to have been tortured before being buried alive. Oh, no. and that was him trying to get out. Yep. So, apparently, the story behind it was the brother of the sultan was a traitor, so the sultan arranged for him to be hidden in the US, but one of his aides betrayed him and revealed his whereabouts to the Turkish government. Mm. Now, the current owner believes that the massacre was pure urban legend, right? but that person does believe that it's haunted because keys to the apartments will often disappear, and tenants have reported dark shadows and disembodied voices of women in the middle of the night, plus phantom music can be heard throughout the house and the source is never found
1: okay let me ask you this question do you think the time frame of the murder matters so if it was a murder from 300 years ago would you go fuck it i'm not buying that house or you go it's 300 years i don't care or if it was 15 years ago 20
0: years ago I I would be concerned I would be concerned about ghosts even Mm. though I don't necessarily believe in them I would be concerned about like we've said before the energy Mm. like the stone tape theories Mm. the energy that it's been soaked up you know what just knowing about it it would be replaying in my head I'd be going into detail about what exactly was experienced by every person involved I'd go there.
1: Early on in the podcast, we, you know, we did talk about ghost stories and I just remember these girls in Sydney who were sharing a house and they were almost raped by a ghost. And the thing is, that wasn't a new ghost. This was an old ghost. So the thing is, and I don't mean old as in old man ghost. I mean, this was a ghost that had been there for a long time. So centuries, decades, doesn't really matter. It is about the energy, isn't it? Bad
0: juju energy. Exactly. Exactly. What about this energy? There's another one in New Orleans, right? Another house where horrible things had happened. It's the Lalaurie Mansion. This mansion was the basis of the Coven Season of American Horror Story. I haven't seen it, so mm, I don't know. Neither. It was owned by a lady called Delphine Lalaurie who was a wicked socialite, and when the house burnt down in 1834, The firefighters attending the blaze allegedly discovered more than a dozen slaves chained and caged in the attic who'd been viciously tortured. Oh, my God.
1: Okay, well, this brings me to another theory. If you burn down the house, do you burn down the memory of what happened there and are the ghosts eradicated or because it was on that site, does Mm. the energy still linger?
0: I think bulldoze it down, burn it down, should be fine. Dig up the bodies from the grave. You think about, like, you know, sites of war
1: and people say they can feel the, the dead mm. soldiers. Well, that's not in any kind of
0: structure. That's just in the land. Hold that thought, Michelle, because I've got something I'm going to come to in a minute because somebody did buy that house, the La Lorrie Mansion in New Orleans. Jay Monroe, who is the CEO of a satellite service provider called Global Star, so quite famous, and he lived there for about six years with his wife and two children, but he said the worst thing about living there was the hundreds of people turning up every night, Mm. looking up into their house and telling ghost stories. So in 2006, he sold the mansion to actor Nicolas Cage. For top dollar, Yeah, uh, I think it was about $3.45 So because he didn't care. He wanted that house, but... Then things went bad for Nicolas Cage, (gasps) as you may know by some of his movie choices. (laughs) (laughs) Shorty. No, it did go wrong for him. Mm. Unlike Ben Mendelsohn, who we joke about, he's got a great career. Nicolas Cage was up there and then went down there. Mm. He's admitted to taking loads of shit films because he wasn't good with managing his money. Yeah, right. But also, too, well, if you're an actor
1: and you want some privacy... Don't live in a fucking murder house where you got... It's mad. Yeah, crazy.
0: It wasn't his only house. He, yeah, he had loans at that time. Yeah. And then as a result of all the trouble, he had to sell it in 2009. Mm. Yeah, I think it, it went down in value by then. Mm. Also, another famous person who most people won't know, you might, musician Chris Butler, who is from the band The Waitresses. I know what the boys, boys like. like. I know what guys want.
1: And also, Merry Christmas Merry Merry Christmas. Christmas. Merry Christmas, something, something, something. What are the words? (laughs) I don't know, but it's a really good one. It's
0: a good song. (laughs) Yeah. So he has been trying to sell his home in Akron, Ohio because he's had enough. But he had lived there for a while, and it was originally the childhood home of serial killer, stroke cannibal, Jeffrey Dahmer.
1: (gasps) Oh my God! He bought uh, no. it for a reason.
0: He he knew it was Dharma's childhood home, and unfortunately, he Dharma did start his career in this home. That's where he dismembered his first victim, Stephen Hicks. Fuck you, now. Yeah. No, that's just a big no. Big no. But anyway, this guy Chris Butler told NPR that when he bought it in 2005, it was because he wanted to live somewhere where he could make a loud musical racket and not bug my neighbours. Is what he said.
1: But now. <laughs> But now, <laughs> now no, no one thinking. wants the fucking thing. So you're screwed, no. Sorry. Yep. That it's a gamble, isn't it? You're either your chips are going to go up or down exactly. when you buy a murder house. Mm.
0: In the UK, someone purchased the house where the grinder murder took uh hang on, cuz I didn't look into the, what the grinder murder was. So I haven't finished my notes. Do you know the grinder murder? No, I don't.
1: Do you mean like off the app?
0: Yeah. I think it was maybe it was the Stephen Port murders. I don't know. We have to look into it. So apologies for that. But in the UK, Do you want me
1: to quickly look? Yeah, into it look now? into
0: it now. While I quickly tell you about it. So there's a house where the Grinder murder took place, and the person who purchased that house said that there was evidence of dark and horrific events that had occurred when he moved in. And he said, it was such an aggressive murder. The blood is stained into the wood beams, the ceilings and even on the curtains. And you can see blood spatters everywhere. You soon realise the forensics didn't do a very good job of cleaning the place up. And you can see that they tried to clean the surfaces, but underneath is congealed blood. But why? What? I mean, that's just horrific. Then he says he doesn't have any regrets. And he's just curious about what happened there rather than scared. What happened there, Michelle? The Grinder murder. Well, it's not just one. It was. Yeah. It was Stephen Port, wasn't it?
1: You were on the money. It is the right. crimes, crimes, crimes. Yeah, plural of Stephen Port murdered four young men, and after police failed to investigate the deaths. Basically, the LGBT plus community is fucking terrified. But they did get him in the end. 16 month long reign of terror. Yes.
0: Targeted all on Grinder. He yep. kept trying to say he might have been the last person to see them, but they were fine when they left him. One poor victim had a suicide note, stupid suicide note written and put on his chest at one point as well. Disgusting. Anyway. Right. So you
1: do know it is that guy. They are the grinder murder. So you were on the money. The
0: guy who bought that house goes on to say that the estate agent said it got a lot of offers. And it's one of those what? things it either matters to someone or it doesn't matter to someone. So, Michelle, I did actually watch Murder House Flip. I watched <laughs> <laughs> I thought I better for, for the sake yeah. of the research. The podcast, yes. I did. I sat down and watched season two, episode one, and I warned my family not to come in whilst watching it in case it was gory. And it was based on the Jody Arias murder in Mesa, Mesa or Mesa, I don't know how to pronounce that, Arizona. Yes, now, Jody Arias, I'll tell you about the murder in a minute. It's very famous in the United States. So homeowners are Katlin or Caitlin and J.R. They bought it. And the bathroom needs serious remodeling. And I'll tell you why. It's because mm. the crime was Jodie drove from California to Arizona to seduce and murder her ex boyfriend, Travis Alexander, who lived there in a group house. But he had the main bedroom with the ensuite. Okay. This is in June 2008. After not hearing from Travis Alexander, a concerned group of his friends went to his house and his flatmates hadn't seen him for several days, but they thought he was out of town. So these guys did not give up the friends of Travis. They found a key to Travis's room and they both opened the doors, walked into the bedroom, found large pools of blood in the hallway and in the master suite they found Travis's body in the shower. So then they called 911 and the emergency worker asked whether Travis Alexander had been suicidal or if anyone was angry enough to hurt him. And all of his friends immediately mentioned Jodi Arias as a suspect due to Travis telling all his friends that she'd been stalking him and accessing his Facebook account and slashing his car tyres. So they searched his home, Travis's home during the murder investigation and they found a recently purchased digital camera damaged in the washing machine, but they were able to pull off pictures. There were recently deleted images showing both Jodie Arias and Travis Alexander in sexually suggestive poses oh. taken approximately in the afternoon around 4 days before his body was discovered. Right. And then the final photograph which the homeowners did look at are of Travis Alexander alive. And it was taken that day of him in the shower looking quite shocked. And the following mm-hmm. photo after that shows uh, a body, a man profusely bleeding on the bathroom floor, who they assume is Travis Alexander.
1: Why on earth is she taking these pictures? I
0: don't know, but it was the nail in her coffin as well. He suffered at her hands 27 to 29 knife wounds and a gunshot to the back wow. of the head. She did testify that she killed him in self-defence, but a jury found her guilty and she was convicted of first-degree murder in 2013 and sentenced to life without parole in prison. Oof. So 10 years after that, J.R. and Caitlin bought the house. But <laughs> the shower, the sink, the baseboard and the tiles were all the same since the murder. No one no. had refurbished. What there the was fuck? even in the bathroom sink, I'm sorry to say this, but there were knife scratches where someone had tried oh. to clean the knife, someone being probably Jodi Arias. So oh, my God. Also, after he was initially stabbed, they believe he was crawling from the hallway or to the hallway, who knows, but there was bloodstains on the hallway. And when the interior decorators, Mikkel and Sarah, turned up and agreed to give the master bedroom and the ensuite and the hall a complete overhaul, they said they needed to completely gut it. And they had five days in which to do it. So they pulled up the carpet to replace the flooring and they wanted to create like a, a hotel spa type of feel. And it did look good in the end. But the hallway needed the tiles to be gone and the shower had to go. Of course. They pulled up the carpet and found a huge stain and they were almost falling over from the smell of raw meat. <gasps>
1: oh, no. But this yeah. is 10 years on. Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, my I, God. kept moist and it was still moist and moist. it's underneath all moist. the… Moist. <laughs> George. <laughs> Sorry. It's underneath the tiles and all sorts. So they called in a forensic scientist to pop his little chemical luminescence on the stain which, as I said, was moist. There was blood and matter still shown to be... Matter? Yeah, under there, unfortunately. Sorry. So that property needed a sanitary deep clean and a proper ripping of everything out. And now it looks great. And now they can finally separate from the crime scene and it changed the energy completely. So good for them. Do you know what, though?
1: It takes, like, a day and probably two grand... To go to IKEA and buy new fucking everything exactly. for a new bathroom. And in ten years no one did that? I know. Are you kidding me? Like who's still lived even there? Even if it's the cheapest shit, you just get that out. Get that. Unbelievable.
0: Stuff out. People are outrageous. So you mentioned earlier, Michelle, just bulldozer that house down. And you know what? Some murder houses are just a constant reminder to the community where they were committed mm. and needed to be demolished, to erase the echoes of the trauma. And two properties in the UK that I found out about that that happened to were the Soham property where Ian Huntley killed the schoolgirls, Jessica Chapman yeah. and Holly Wells. That was knocked yeah. down, as okay. was Fred and Rose West's Gloucester House of Horrors where they kept, yeah. uh, I mean, I didn't want to go into what they did in there. It's absolutely no. disgusting, including their own children.
1: I'll put a link in the show notes. And you can do your own
0: reading. We may visit. We may visit this in a future episode. I doubt it. So the atrocities that occurred inside that house meant that the community made sure that even the rubble from the ground up was taken away and destroyed so not one single stone from that property was left. Remains. Good. Good. And do you know what? That is a symbolic
1: gesture for a community yeah. making a fresh start and saying... They honor the the memory of the people who lost their lives,
0: but yeah. they're not going to honor the atrocities or any reminder or re, you no. know of what happened. Yeah, oh. yeah. So that was Murder House Flip. I'm not going to watch another episode. I actually quickly switched, and now I'm watching Game of Thrones, yeah. the prequel, House of Dragons, with Doctor oh. Who and Reece Ifans and. Paddy Considine, who I adore. Well, do you know what? I just needed some feel-good
1: recently, so I started re-watching Ted Lasso, and I do love it so much.
0: Well, I'll give it a go. It's
1: the most wholesome thing on telly. Like, it's just lovely. This whole murder thing, I, I would like to ask our eavesdroppers, please get in touch. Tell us, A, whether you would live in a murder house or B, if you actually do or you know someone who does, tell us your stories. We want to know. And Hazel, if you've ever sold a murder house, we want to hear from you as well. Well,
0: she'll know because they'll be tip-tapping her on the shoulder and breathing in <laughs> her ear and stroking her ear. and <laughs> <laughs> Saying,
1: why you sell my house?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that's all we've got for today, Mish. It's been lovely to have a chilly chat with you about murders and what happened to Melissa Caddick. Well, we still
1: are no closer. We all we know is we've got a foot in a very iconic trainer, and that's all we know about Melissa right now. But as the inquest progresses, I'm sure there'll be more revelations. I'm sure shocking, there will. Shocking revelations. But thank you so much for that murder house flip story. I'm. It's really. Oh, it's got me, giving me the heebie-jeebies. I've I, and. All a jitter. A lot of thoughts. Yeah, a lot of thoughts about would I, would I put money over. Juju. Energetic Juju. Yeah. Thank you so much. Amazing. Well, that's
0: my pleasure and thank you for the update on Melissa Caddick. So all that's left now is for you guys out there. That's right. You, you and you, all you eavesdroppers. You have to remember that whatever you bloody well do.
1: Wherever you are. Just
0: just keep keep eavesdropping. eavesdropping. It's dropping, 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 it's all day long